That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs. You're fighting for the gay disco. What, are there are no slurs here. Our most requested guest, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That, that's, what they, that's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. While you may, here's a little jingle you can sing at night or noon. Now, here's the word that's all you need, cause I just sang it too. Oh, I don't wanna, you can have her, she's too fat for me. She's too fat for me, much too fat for me. Oh, I don't wanna, you can have her, she's too fat for me. She's too fat, she's too fat, she's too fat for me. She's a twosome, she's a foursome, if she'd lose some. I would like her more some I don't want her, you can have her She's too fat for me She's too fat for me Much too fat for me Oh, I don't want her, you can have her She's too fat for me She's too fat, she's too fat She's too fat for me Can she prance up a hill? No, 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 no Can she dance a quadrille? No, 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 no Can she fit in my coop? By herself she's a group Could she possibly sit upon my knee? No, no, no Dizzy, I get numble when I'm dancing with my jum jum jumbo. Yanunachin tio zemi on the depala, on the depala, on the depala. Oh, I don't want her, you can have her, she's too fat for me. She's too fat, she's too fat, she's too fat for me. Hey!
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, credits to Mike Bajakis for putting that video together. What um, should have won an award on MTV. Or uh, if the police come after him, it's his. I will uh, show them down to the basement here and they can arrest him. I had nothing to do with this. Okay. Uh, we This, uh, by the way, uh, if you haven't gotten the message yet, I think we just broke the law in Switzerland. Uh, because uh, as you saw in the headlines there, Alan Soral now faces jail time in Switzerland for calling a fat lesbian a fat lesbian. The lady in question is a, lame, a journalist by the name of Catherine Macherel. Uh He called her that. I don't know what the circumstances were, uh, but now he's facing either 60 days in jail or a fine of 3,600 euros. For what? Uh, what exactly is the crime here? Is the lady not fat? Uh, would he be in jail now if he called her a skinny lesbian? Uh, is she not a lesbian? She is a self-proclaimed uh, lesbian. I don't get what the crime here is. Some people, why is this an insult? Why isn't this a compliment now to call someone a lesbian, to call someone a homosexual? Isn't that a compliment? Isn't that the noblest thing that you can be? What you saw there were a group of people uh, who have, some of whom have become famous for doing that. Uh, one of the people you saw on that video uh, was, uh, by the way, before I get into this, thank you, Frankie Yankowitz, uh, for your one of your greatest hits, um, you know, She's Too Fat For Me. Uh, if you grow up in South Bend, Indiana, you can't get through Dingus Day, which is the Monday after Easter, without listening to She's Too Fat For Me at some uh, polka place or other uh, in South Bend, Indiana. Anyway, the people, a lot of these people we're talking about, maybe you don't know it, but they're, they're famous. There was a lady there uh, by the name of Roberta Kaplan. Roberta Kaplan became famous after Charlottesville. She is the lawyer um, who went after all the protesters in Charlottesville and tried to make their lives miserable by something which we now call lawfare. Uh, basically suing, uh, get pursuing someone with some type of trumped-up legal charge so that the person gets ruined uh, financially. Roberta Kaplan refers to herself as a chubby lesbian kike. Now, did I just, am I going to go to jail in Switzerland? If I just, this is what she uses to describe herself. If I'm using the same term she used to describe herself, does that mean I go to jail in Switzerland? Or better question, does Roberta Kaplan go to jail in Switzerland for referring to herself as a chubby lesbian kike? Uh, this is a hate crime. Is it objective or not? If it's objective, then she just committed a hate crime, even if she committed it against herself. And she should now face 60 days in jail or a fine of 3,600 euros. Okay, another uh, famous person that we saw in this video was Roxanne Gay, uh, who is also a fat lesbian. Now, when I'm saying, when I say fat, I really mean fat. Okay, because she wrote a book about this uh, called Hunger, a kind of memoir in which uh, she talked about what it's like to weigh 577 pounds. Now, that's really fat. Now, is this a crime? Am I going to? Uh, she's the one who talked about it in her book. And then she talked about uh, how she wanted to go to Australia, but couldn't fit in the airplane. Uh, so they have to have two seats for her when she sits on an airplane. I mean, she's a real jumbo, thanks to uh, Frankie Yankowitz, a jumbo in a jumbo jet. Okay, she talked about what it was like to slim down to uh, 350 pounds. Now, that's, uh, you know, more than I weigh altogether. She lost more weight than I weigh altogether. Why is that a crime? Is she committing a hate crime? when she says uh, she's a lesbian and that she weighs 577 pounds? I don't get it here, okay? This goes on and on and on here. Now, I happen to have written an article about Roberta Kaplan, which you can go uh, to and find on the Culture Wars website. The title of the article is The Fat Lady Sings. 
and it's about her memoir and about uh, this whole story. Now, it turns out that it's not just people like Soral uh, making comments, uh, which can be seen as derogatory or, or, I don't know, complimentary. I don't know. It's hard to tell now. Uh, it turns out the United States government has gotten, invo gotten involved in this. It turns out that uh, the National Institute of Health paid a Harvard professor $3 million to, for a study which lasted from 2011 to 2016 to find out why lesbians are fat. Oh, wait a minute. This is getting even more serious. Now it looks as if Harvard's going to go to jail because they did a study on why lesbians are fat. Okay, uh, and at the end of the study, uh, this is a Professor Austin at Harvard University, S. Brian Austin, says, uh, why is that? And he answers by saying, I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's an expensive and uh, uh, boss, as the Germans say. They spent $3 million for him to say, I don't know. So at the uh, expense... Uh, maybe of I could bring I could give the government a, an answer for much less money. Okay, As a matter of fact, for nothing. What we have here is the systematic promotion of sexual liberation, beginning in the '60s. And at that point, uh, the left was uh, famous—not their only ones, but they were famous for making it a virtue, and that made that all the left-wing ladies. Uh, slept with the left-wing guys without the benefit of marriage. And as a result, it turned, turned out bad because those relationships always turn out badly. Uh, the lesbians felt used, and the result of that was feminism, which arose in the 1970s in reaction to the sexual exploitation of the 1960s. And at that point, uh, lesbianism made its appearance on everyone's radar screen. Now, it's either uh, an, an extreme form of feminism. They used to say feminism is the theory and lesbianism is the practice. It was celebrated here in South Bend by Sam Shapiro's uh, white, the late Sam Shapiro, uh, who taught at IUSB and bragged about uh, all the lesbians that she had sex with or uh, marriages she broke up or abortions she procured, she's gone to her eternal reward or maybe the opposite of eternal reward uh, because of promoting that. But she used to say feminism is the theory, lesbianism is the practice. And suddenly it turns out that everybody got fat. Now, there's now even a, um, a woman by the name of uh, Boycott uh, boycott is a word that came from a name, so it's not unusual that that would happen. But um, she was in charge of food in uh, London in the 1970s. Uh, and at that time, she was a flaming feminist. And flaming feminism at that time meant uh, to women, uh, don't be exploited by constantly fixing meals for people. And so mom in London just decided, no, I'm not going to make meals anymore. And the result was obesity. This is a feminist, not only a feminist, but a, a, a feminist who is now in, in charge of food uh, in London, accusing herself of creating this wave of obesity because she told woman, women not to cook. And when you tell, if women stop cooking, okay, that doesn't mean People stop eating, they all go and they start eating uh, junk food, okay? I'm not going to name names here. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, and they go out and they buy food that is supposed to taste good, but it's not good for you. And suddenly everyone gets obese. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about people uh, saying yes to appetite. So you say yes uh, to your sexual appetite, and then that opens the door to saying yes to every other kind of appetite. And it turns out there's, that's the connection between lesbianism and obesity. Okay, it's proven. It's out there. We're not making this up. So why is this a crime in Switzerland? Well, uh, because at this point in our history, just about Everything 
is a crime or can be a crime. What we're talking about is a world in which truth is the opinion of the powerful. Truth, uh, according to the Catholic understanding, is the relationship between the, the equation between the th mind and the thing. Adequatio rei et intellectum, as Thomas Aquinas would say. That means there's an objectivity to it. If I say the gun's on the table in the dining room, and you're in the basement and you hear me say that and you go up and you walk up and walk into the dining room and you see, lo and behold, there's a gun on the table. That means there's a correspondence between my lips moving and making certain sounds corresponding to an idea in my mind and the idea in reality. As someone pointed out, it's the correspondence between a category of reality and the category of the mind. That's what traditional tr truth is. Now we have a situation where there is no truth other than the opinion of the powerful. And what we're learning is that that is another word for tyranny, okay? And so this is breaking out all across the world now. Same, uh, same that uh, moment, that uh, same week that uh, Soral is being uh, persecuted in Switzerland. Uh, Soral, by the way, was, is French. He teamed up with a, a, a black, uh, an African by the name of Du Donnet, and they used to do comedy shows, and they had a group called uh, uh, Egalité et Reconciliation, e Equality and Reconciliation. He was a former communist, I believe, or left-wing, certainly, who suddenly decided that uh, he was going to get out of that dialectic and try to deal with the situation in France where they have huge numbers of immigrants on a positive basis by uh, proposing reconciliation. Uh, for that and for being forthright, he has been demonized. He, he was facing hate crimes legislation in France, and then he escaped to Switzerland because Switzerland, oh, we all know that that's the land of the free. That's where Wagner went after the failed revolution of 1848 and the Germans couldn't touch him there, okay, because the free, it was a bastion for freedom. Remember Wilhelm Tell and all this other type of stuff? Well, it's no longer the case, obviously, and they have the same tyrannical regime in Switzerland as they have every place else in Europe, as this shows. There's also, there's, oh, the same week that this is happening, we have an American living in Berlin by the name of C.J. Hopkins. C.J. Hopkins uh, says, uh, wrote a book about COVID uh, and the lockdown in Germany, which was much more draconian than over here, uh, and compared it to the Third Reich by doing the cover of the book where he put a mask and then there faintly behind that is a swastika. Okay, he's not advocating uh, national socialism, uh, but he's criticizing the government and they went after him because of the swastika. What are we seeing here? It's the, once again, where are we? We're back with the Holocaust narrative because that is the source of this whole problem. That's where it began. It's metastasizing now as we speak. It has metastasized for, for years now, but that's where it began. It was the Holocaust narrative, of course, that enabled the Canadian government to demonize a protest, a trucker protest, by claiming that they were all Nazis. We, we dealt with this before. Uh, they found they, Bernie Farber, the Jew who runs Canadians Against Hate Network, uh, discovered an anti-Semitic flyer next to a truck. Uh, the flyer came from Miami Beach. Nobody talked about that. But suddenly those truckers were Nazis. And once they were Nazis, they, lo they lost the right to have their bank account. And in a case you didn't understand the connection, we had uh, Yara Sachs, the Canadian member of parliament, stand up and say, first of all, first sentence out of her mouth, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. So therefore, what I'm saying is true. And then she said, Hong Kong equals Heil Hitler. Well, if Hong Kong equals Heil Hitler, you're in trouble. We're all in trouble. C.J. Hopkins is in trouble. Uh, what? How this is going to work out, I don't know. There's no First Amendment in Germany. 
It's a state that doesn't even have a constitution. They have a Grundgesetz, which was imposed on by the Americans. And whatever the powerful say, that's the rule of law in Germany right now. So good luck, Mr. Hopkins. We'll pray for you. Uh, I'm not betting any money on the outcome of your trial, but you deserve our prayers. Same time, Glenn Greenwald, who was uh, associated with uh, Julian Assange for a while, gave a uh, podcast in which he talked about how Germany is now going to become the new normal. Uh, that's going to be for everyone now. So no matter where you are, uh, you're going to be a German when it comes to free speech. How are they going to do this? They're going to do it through platforms like the one that we're on now, uh, Twitter, uh, you name it, Google, all of these things. I, I can see the, the truth just over the horizon because when I'm on Twitter, now God bless Elon Musk because he gave me amnesty and he put me back and I've been there by the grace of God and uh, the, the, uh, the, the policy of Elon Musk uh, uh, who is defending my right to speech. Uh, he's got there uh, by uh, him coming on and uh, saying that uh, I'm allowed to say what I'm allowed to say. But if the, the Jews uh, get the slander machine going, they, they press a button and suddenly 50 people will jump on me, calling me an anti-Semite. Uh, because I said something uh, like what I've said probably somewhere in this talk. And then I'll get a message from Twitter saying, uh, we examined your case. You have not violated Twitter's rules or the laws of the state of Germany. Now, what Greenwald is saying is the, 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 uh, the censors, the Jews, the oligarchs, the people who want to crush your right to free speech are going to use platforms like Twitter. They're going to use the state of Germany. Germany is going to say to these platforms, if you want to broadcast in Germany, you're going to have to follow our rules. And these rules now will become normative for the entire internet. Well, that's bad news for everyone because the law in Germany is a function of the powerful. It was imposed on the German people by Jews uh, looking for Semitic vengeance at operations like the Nuremberg trials. 70% of the lawyers at the Nuremberg trial were Jews who had left Germany, uh, went to America, and then they came back after the war when Germany was prostrate, seeking revenge. And it was people like uh, Herbert Hoover, the heroic figure who said, Semitic revenge, Semitic vengeance should not be the foundation of American foreign policy. I cover that in the Holocaust narrative in detail. This is the crisis that we're facing right now, okay? It's not going to go away. We're, there's a showdown here. Uh, we are going to press ahead. Uh, grateful that the United States has a First Amendment that guarantees freedom of speech. Uh, but the, the straws are in the wind. The oligarchs don't, are not going to take no for an answer. Uh, it's how this outcome, uh, what the outcome, ultimate outcome be, is, or whether it turns out that we all go to jail in Switzerland because we quote uh, uh, Ms. Kaplan uh, describing herself as a chubby lesbian kike, or we, we describe Roxanne Gay as a fat lesbian uh, because she weighs 577 pounds. All of this stuff is up for grabs uh, right now. Switzerland is the straw in the wind, that, and the wind is blowing in our direction. That's my rant. Let's hear what you have to say. All right. Hello once again. This is Mike Bajakis, uh, Dr. Jones' assistant. Happy Oktoberfest. Happy Polka Month. Um, quick rules for those who are new. Uh, Call-ins are made uh, via our Telegram channel. Link is in the description for everyone watching on our various platforms. In, in Telegram, I will call on those who raise their hand, and then later in the stream, we'll read off uh, text questions from the various chats. Uh, no paid super chats uh, be here. So you don't pay anything. Uh, try to keep questions on subject. Try to keep to one question at a time. Be respectful of everyone's time. And do not forget to unmute yourself. All right. Let's jump to 
the telegram over here and see who we got. Uh, Saucet Duvall. Uh, go ahead. Hello, Dr. Jones. This is uh, Eve. Uh, I, I'm, I, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I tend to become the unofficial uh, French consultant <laughs> for your... Is, 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 is this is this making news in France? Uh, the, yes, it is making news, but you know, um, it is the, the sequel, which is very funny, by the way. The sequel is that, uh, because before, you know, Alain Soral was supposed to, uh, uh, nobody wanted to talk about him, so there was this uh, strategy of uh, silence. But by now, uh, as Elon Musk uh, forwarded, uh, retweeted uh, uh, the, um, the news, then it became uh, international. So uh, the, the press, the, the media couldn't, couldn't uh, hide it anymore. So now their strategy is to say, look how um, Elon Musk is anti-Semitic as he is retweeting uh, Alain Soral uh, Etc. Uh, Etc. Et so there is a kind of uh, a stressant effect, you know. Wait, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you saying it's now anti-Semitic to call this lady a fat lesbian? Yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, well, I don't. I don't. I don't understand that. Can you explain why it's anti-Semitic? Because as uh, Anna Sohal is uh, is uh, is um, is labeled anti-Semitic, then when you talk about Anna Sohal, then you are anti-Semitic. Ah. Whatever the subject, you know. Okay. The subject. So if if I write a, if I write an article about Alan Soral, does that make me an anti anti semite? Yes, direct, direct. <laughs> Go to Jay, direct. Yes. The the, the uh, number the number of anti semites is is uh, expanding geometrically at this point. Yes, it's it's uh, it's very funny because uh, you know Swiss is very famous for uh, the. Uh, high expensive watches and uh, as you say they didn't get the memo because uh, there is the gay pride so uh, I as I understand it it's a kind of a, a pride to be gay or lesbian and uh, so that they didn't catch it and the uh, second uh, on the Paris Opera Opera Garnier uh, last year there was this very 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 big poster with an enormous uh, black girl on the, you couldn't miss it. And so I, uh, it was to be understood as a, a pride to be fat. Right. So and it's uh, a, so it's a compliment. This is a compliment. Yes. Bo both yes, being, a, being fat, being yeah. fat is good and being a lesbian is good. So they're two compliments yes. at one time. So why is he, why is he going to jail for giving her a compliment? Because the, he sits in Switzerland, as I tell you, uh, they didn't get the memo. This <laughs> <laughs> is like the, the, the cowboy movie where the guy sends in, he says, you're, you're nothing but a, a, a low-down rattlesnake. And the other cowboy says, yeah. smile when you say that, partner. Well, I guess we have to <laughs> smile when we say it, and it's okay. It's a compliment. So that's the... I, I take the the opportunity uh, to have the to have a voice because there is another guy who is in jail uh, by the name of Vincent Renoir, which is uh, less famous that, than uh, Anna Sohar, but is uh, more concerned by your subject about Holocaust. He's the kind of a successor to um, uh, Forisson. Forisson, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. and uh, he's in jail. Uh, he was. Um, he writes about uh, Holocaust denying uh, in the following of so, uh, Forisson, and he was arrested uh, by very high pressure from French government. He was uh, hiding in uh, Scot uh, Scot in Scotland, and uh, it was a very high uh, pursuit to get him with the F uh, MI6 or I, I don't what whatever the name in England. Uh, to get him because he he was uh, he was seen as a uh, number one uh, uh, public enemy and yeah. uh, so he, okay so he, because, but yes so this is the guy but the Scottish court 
is is uh, is not uh, keen on being uh, bullied. So maybe he has a chance to be freed. Uh, well, we see it, uh, well, next month. I, I hope so. I hope so. Thanks, thanks, Eve. Thanks, Eve. Yes, yeah, th thanks you, uh, Doctor Jones. You're uh, welcome. Pleased to, to meet you. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Thank you so much for that question. Moving on, let's go to, let's see, Jakey. Go ahead, Jakey. You there? Hi, Dr. Jones, sorry. Hello. Hello, I'm just wondering if you've heard anything more from the Senate, what's happening in the Senate? What's happening where? In the Senate, from the Senate. Oh, from the Senate. Uh, well, yeah. uh, I've heard that, uh, the Pope has allowed bishops to bless, uh, well, what is it called? Gay unions? I don't know what it's called. Uh, but as long as they say it's not marriage, uh, am, am I correct? Did that happen at the Synod? Is that coming out of the Synod? I don't know. I'm just waiting for your take on it, really. Okay. Yeah. What did he say? I, he's, I didn't he's, he's, he's asking for your take on it. Okay, I have a take on it. So I said on Twitter, uh, God can't bless a sin that cries to heaven for vengeance. That's impossible. This is a, a, a mockery of marriage. It's a calculated assault on marriage. And why the Pope would ever go along with this is completely mysterious to me. Uh, the only answer I can give you is that he's a Jesuit. And the Jesuits are running the church right now, and the Jesuits are controlled by a homosexual cabal. They're the, they run the Jesuits. I'm not saying every Jesuit is a homosexual. I am saying what I heard from Paul Mankowski, the late Paul Mankowski, a Jesuit uh, who comes from uh, uh, our, our out, just outside of South Bend, who came to me with two other Jesuits right after they were ordained. And I said, you know, good luck in that order. The last time I saw him uh, before he died was in uh, the, at the Biblicum. And he told me that the order is run by homosexuals and that he is being persecuted. So this is where it comes from. We have to end this uh, uh, Babylonian captivity of the Vatican right now uh, mm -hmm. by the Jesuits who are pro forcing this uh, this agenda, the homosexual agenda, on the entire Catholic Church through these ridiculous things like blessing gay unions. You can't bless something that God hates. God hates the sin of sodomy. God hates evil. This is evil. Okay? You can't bless evil. Sorry. I, I think I heard criticism that you're just being too vague about it. You know? We'll see. He wasn't explicitly, yeah. He won't be Pope forever. And when he leaves this earth, he will face God, who will judge him according to justice and mercy. Uh, but that will hopefully break the back of Jesuit hegemony over the Catholic Church right now. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Jones. All right. Thank you, uh, Jakey. Uh, let's jump to the next here. Who do we got? Who do we got? Uh, Fernanda. Uh, go ahead, Fernanda. And don't forget to unmute yourself. Little button in the center. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Good evening, Mr. Jones. I'm grateful to speak with you. I'd like to ask you about the sex scandals involving Marco Rupinic. What do you think of Pope Francis' response? I, I, I thank you for your attention. Sorry. C can you hear what she said? There's a little bit of feedback. There, there was, there was just too much feedback. I could not hear what you said. Sorry, I will ask again. I would like to ask about the sex scandals involving Marco Rupinic. What do you think of Pope Francis' response? Thank you. The sex scandal in, involving who? Is this, is this the? Um... Marco Rupinic. Rupinic. Is he the, the, the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith? No. I'm, I'm sorry, He's but our, I, I don't know. I don't know this man, so I can't comment on on the scandal. I'm sorry. Okay, it's okay. Thank you anyway. You're welcome. 
Okay, thank you so much. Um, let's keep going here. Uh, Glenn Muse, let's get you going here. Go, go ahead, Glenn. Uh, good evening from Gulag, Cape Breton. Oh uh, yeah, how are you? How are you doing? Well, uh, I have a court appearance uh, under an undertaking on November the sixth. I'll have to appear and plead not guilty to charges of willfully spreading hatred. Uh, criminal harassment and false information. All right. Now, what what is there specifics? What did they say in terms of willingly spreading hatred? Did they give a specific instance? Did you call someone a fat lesbian? No, I called a, a, a tranny um, uh, a pedophile. A what? Uh, in, in a, a pedophile. Pedophile. Well, that's pedophile. Not, that is serious. Uh, if you can't back it oh, up, that's that's. It, 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 Michael, excuse me, Dr. Jones, uh, I I don't want to take your time. I just wanted to say that people should be aware that in Canada right now, they're going to use me as a test case here. Okay, And they have no evidence, but they are building a network of innuendo and lies that they pay these informants. Now, if I disappear, it won't be suicide. Okay. Okay. And I'm telling you, it's to that point right now where if I, I had to... I had to make some maneuvers in the last week to evade the Antifa that had been attacking me and even vehicles attempting to go up on the sidewalk. I'm banned from all public transit, Dr. Jones, for 16 months now. Okay, they have made a concerted effort to take me out. And without the strength of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Rosary and my good friend, Father Alec McClellan, who I attend Latin Mass, and I, the blessings from that are enormous. I am ready to fight, and I will not bend. All That's right. That's all I have to say. All right, good. Well, God bless you. Let's hope things work out well for you. Thank you, Dr. Jones. All right. Uh, good luck to you there, Glenn. Uh, uh, let's keep going here. Uh, Cypher Zone, it looks like you're next. Uh, go, go ahead, Cypher Zone. Are you there, Cypher? Uh, can you hear me? I can. Uh, thank you for taking the time to answer my question, Mr. Jones. Uh, I want to ask you about this uh, late news about the president of Ukraine, the Zelensky, indicating this new diplomat, this new uh, satanic diplomat. I don't remember exactly the name, the Abramovic, maybe. Can you please comment on that? No, I, I can't. Now, what, what, I, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what's happening? Can you describe the situation? It seems to me, uh, it seems to me that uh, they were indicating uh, a new diplomat. And it happens to be that uh, famous Satanist that, uh, that I can't uh, remember the, man, the oh, name right oh, now. Oh, you're talking about the food lady, the... The uh, the Mar exactly uh, Mar that's one. yeah the Maria lady. her exactly. name's Mar Maria Abramovich yeah yeah Abramovich that's yeah the name. That's, that's right the name. yeah yeah I saw that I saw that yeah well I think it uh, if if that's your uh, in part of your government then you're you're worshiping Satan there in in the in the Ukraine the government has been captured by a group of Satanists uh, that's pretty clear that's what her reputation is if you look her up and you see the stuff that she's involved in it's pretty clear that that's what's going on why he would do this is anyone's guess uh, I, I have no idea why you unless you're sending a message to all of the wealthy Satanists out there uh, to come and mm -hmm. uh, support the Ukraine or the, okay. the corrupt okay. government of the Ukraine yeah I know who you're talking about Okay, okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Jones. You're welcome. Okay, moving on here, let's go to, where was it? I thought I saw, ah, Andrew Horval. Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, good day, Dr. Jones. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, good day, sir. You said that, you just said that everything's a crime. Well, my question is, who are writing these laws and who are the police? Because I guess preaching the Bible is now considered to be hateful conduct. I had posted a Bible message on X and it was immediately flagged as visibility limited. This post may violate X's rules against hateful conduct. 
Now I was given the opportunity to appeal. So I did that and I let them know that I'm just simply preaching the Bible. It seems that their issue is from what I'm told by others is that the synagogue of Satan, uh, which is in the book of Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9, uh, Jesus's words uh, as a warning to the churches. I guess this is the issue. So I had appealed this before because I had referenced uh, these verses in the past and X removed the limited visibility, but not this time. Uh, after a few minutes of submitting the appeal, they deny my appeal. I have that pinned on my X page right now if, if anybody wants to look at that. But my supposed hateful content simply said, the seed of Abraham is twofold. A type and example of this twofold manifestation is Jacob and Esau, who represent the spiritual and physical seed of Abraham. And then I said, the spiritual seed of Abraham is Christ. Therefore, those who have received the promises of God are those who are in Christ, Jews and Gentiles. This seed is also known as the Israel of God, Jacob and church. And then I, I quoted Galatians 3, 16 and 29. Now to Abraham, and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And in verse 29, and if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Promise. Now, I think this is what they had the issue with. I said the descendants of Abraham who are not in Christ are the physical seed of Abraham that represent Antichrist, counterfeit Israel, Esau, and the synagogue of Satan. And I quoted John 8, 37, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. And then I said, without Christ, who brings us into the family of God the Father, the Antichrist seed is left to their father, the devil. These physical descendants will not receive the promises of God without faith in Christ. And then I quoted John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. And because there is no truth in him, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So my question to you, sir, is do you see any hateful conduct, conduct in any of this? No, no, absolutely not. You're simply, you're simply quoting the Bible and you're coming up with some type of theological explanation of uh, the past and also uh, the present. So there's absolutely nothing hateful about what you said. Now, if you're asking me, do Jews like to hear this? No, the answer is no. Uh, because if you the passage you quoted in uh, John, uh, when Jesus started talking, when told them, your father is Satan, which is probably the source of that synagogue of Satan phrase as well, uh, the Jews picked up stones and they wanted to kill him. That's always been the case. It's not, going to, it's not going to change as long as there are Jews and Christians in this world. They will always, in some sense, pick up stones and try to kill you. The way they pick up stones now is to get you banned uh, from the Internet. Uh, now, this brings us up to the current state of Twitter or X now. Uh, we obviously talked about this before, the big showdown between uh, Musk and the ADL. Band, hashtag ban the ADL was a big deal. Uh, it was the number one trending hashtag for a while. Uh, this led to emergency meetings. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu flew over to deal with Elon Musk, uh, met with him. Uh, we had Ben Shapiro, the Jewish pope, uh, who brought 10 rabbis together uh, to, to talk to Elon Musk because this is an emergency outbreak of anti-Semitism on Twitter and wanted, he wanted him to be held accountable. The result, I think the results are in. The ADL backed down. Uh, they announced that they are going to uh, advertise on Twitter, which means they they are going to call off the advertising boycott, which they claim they never orchestrated. But you know, uh, you know that's what they're saying. The only way, way we would really know that is if Musk sued them and uh, we had discovery, and you could look at their memos. Okay, I'm I'm not I don't believe what they're saying. I believe Musk before I believe the ADL. Okay, so that happened, but there's another side of this story too. What is the ADL policy? Freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. And I think that Musk has implemented that policy as his part of the deal. So that means you will say something. I've noticed it before, it's, it's happening uh, 
more frequently now, where basically I'll say something that Jews don't like, and there will be some type of thing saying this is being restricted. It's not being distributed the way it would normally. That's the policy. That's what's going on right now. So I think both sides uh, compromised. I don't know how long this is going to last. I can't imagine that this is a stable situation, given the way Jews are and given the way the ADL is. It's not going to last forever. Uh, And the question still remains, okay, even if they don't ban you, who gave the Jews the right to restrict what you have to say? Why did Elon Musk accept this if he believes in free speech? Well, because I think he caved into pressure. That's my verdict. Well, thank you, sir. I'm glad that uh, we're on the same page because I just can't believe we've come to the day where Bible preaching is now hate speech. Thank you, sir. No, this is clearly the case. There is a, uh, in Finland, there is a member of parliament who is also a Lutheran minister, and she's being uh, persecuted in Finland, threatened with jail time because she said that, uh, uh, you know, uh, homosexuality is not acceptable for a Christian. So it's going to ha- it's going to come. It's 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 inevitable. All I'm saying is that the only defense you have now is the religious defense. Don't try and pretend that you're going to be a white boy and stop this onslaught. You will end up like the spear chuckers at uh, uh, Charlottesville, and you'll be uh, 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 the victim of uh, lawfare by chubby lesbian kikes like Roberta Kaplan. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's uh, Christ supremacy for me. None of that uh, racial, ethnic, no, I agree. stuff. I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> yep. Take care. You too. All right. Thank the thank you there, uh, Andrew. Let's do uh, one more quick question, and then we're going to jump to uh, questions in the chat. So you guys start asking your questions, and we're going to go one more here. Let's see. Forkbeard. Go ahead, Forkbeard. If you're there. Don't forget to hit the unmute button. Hey, can you hear me now? I can. Hey, Mr. Jones, this is Forkbeard calling you from the Russian Federation. Sir, I just want to say it's an honor. You're the foremost intellectual of our time, and I'm really glad to have this chance to ask you this simple question. So not going to waste any more of your time than necessary. So... I run something called the Optics Commando Squad Chat. We've got Orthodox guys, Protestant, set of acantists, some of your guys in there. And we've been working on this question, okay, that to restore the Catholic Church, that it's going to take, the theory is, do you think it would take a Constantine as emperor or leadership figure um, and a Pope Gregory the Great to restore the situation, and if so, could you possibly give us any indication of where those figures might come from? Uh, uh, look, the, the the era where the uh, the emperor has power over the church is, I, I'm going to say it's gone. No, it's it's really there. The governments are running the church right now. They're running. The, the, that's obvious. If there were a Constantine. Uh, uh, you know, uh, who, who who could protect the church and protect the church's rights? That would be great. Uh, I think that is the case in Russia. I think that Putin has protected the Russian Orthodox Church. Now, I don't want to get into arguments about the Russian Orthodox Church and so on and so forth. Uh, all I'm saying is that it's a Christian Russia is a big improvement over a communist Russia or a Bolshevik Russia. Okay. Now, on the other side of the equation, you have the Pope. Uh, this, we've been in situations like this before where the papacy was not in good shape at all. And one of the great comebacks was uh, after the Renaissance papacy when we had, uh, I believe it was Pius V, suddenly mm-hmm. elected out of nowhere. The money lenders were ready to converge on the College of Cardinals to lend them money so they could bribe cardinals so they could elect another corrupt Renaissance pope. And it didn't happen. The, the, the church changed on a dime, turned on a dime, and that can happen now too. And, and if, you, if you're asking me from a, a kind of understand, a Hegelian understanding of uh, the church, which is a risk, risky business, uh, 
things create opposition. And I think that it, it, you tend to go back and forth. I think that their Ratzinger's uh, uh, abdication discredited the mm -hmm. whole papacy of John Paul II, his attempt to hold on to uh, the moral order and the order in the church to fight communism. And that allowed another group in. And that group has, uh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb, has disgraced itself uh, in this papacy, the latest example we talked about mm -hmm. here. And that will mm -hmm. cause a reaction. There are plenty of cardinals yes, who understand that the synod is not promoting Catholic doctrine, and there's going to be a reaction just from a natural perspective. I'm not even talking about a supernatural perspective here. Mm. Oh, oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not even promoting Christian doctrine. And, uh, sir, your, your, your comments about the faith in Russia are absolutely spot on. I've actually been doing some Orthodox labor service myself uh, recently. So I, I can assure you that the uh, mo monasteries destroyed by the Bolsheviks are uh, being repaired slowly but steadily. Um, we're going to have to agree to disagree on the importance of an emperor, um, but you're absolutely right that uh, that sort of figure should not have authority right. over the church. Right. The, yes, other, the, the other um, thing... The other thing I think we learned is that the separation of church and state is not a viable option anymore either. It's just when you separate Amen. the church and state, all Amen you're doing that, is, is allowing the rich and the powerful to determine the moral law according to their benefit. And America is the prime example of the failure of separation of church and state. I could not agree more, sir. Yeah. Um, Let's not forget this, that it puts snake handlers and Satanists on an equal footing legally with, say, the, the Eastern Orthodox or with, even with, the with, Roman with, Catholics. Yeah, with apostolic so, churches. You're right. You're absolutely right. Precisely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for taking the question, sir. I'll, I'll, uh, can I do a, can I do a quick plug? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, guys, if you want to, uh chat with us orthodox bros and the crazy set of acanthus who we tolerate and uh such please join optics commando squad chat on telegram it's in fork beard's bio and do please buy a book we recently translated called project russia part one it's available on amazon barnes and noble and all the other ones also in my bio thank you so much mr jones thank you all right you're welcome bye-bye all right, cool. Thank you, Forkbeard. I'm going to check that stuff out myself personally. All right, let's go to the chat. We don't have too much time, but we're going to try to run through these questions quick. Um, okay, uh, Cozy, Kingfish AF asks, uh, Dr. Jones, were there really uh, Jews who poisoned wells during the plague? That's Yes, I think there were. I think that's the evidence. Now, if you're asking me if I dealt with this, uh, no, but there were plenty of stories about it. Uh, I dealt with this in the Holocaust narrative when I talked about this uh, group of uh, Israelis who were coming back ready to poison the water supply in Nuremberg. I just took the, uh, the legends, the stories at face value. If you're dealing with that type of story, uh, I did deal with, uh, in the Jewish revolutionary spirit, uh, St. John Capistran, uh, during the time of the Hussite rebellion, was called in for a trial about ritual murder of the kind of it wasn't St. Simon of Trent, but it was that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's documented evidence of that. Uh, from uh, uh, Rumble, we have a question. Uh, Dr. Jones, how do you see the Synod playing out? It will, it will make statements that the census fidelium will reject and they will not be implemented. And it will be seen as an aberration in, in, in church history of the sort that's deplorable, but you know, it's what happens when you put human beings in charge of an operation with all of their foibles. From the digital Mexican on Rum, uh, Cozy question, uh, Dr. Jones, I've heard you speak briefly about first things. Uh, could you please elaborate your opinion on them? Yeah, it was created by Richard John Newhouse. Uh, while Richard John Newhouse was working for the Rockford Institute, which was the, the bastion at that time of what we would call paleoconservatism, which was based in the Midwest, 
we would call it America first now, but uh, Tom Fleming, who was called it paleoconservatism because it was the opposite of neoconservatism. And Tom studied Greek, and so paleo means old. Okay, that's where it started. So at this point, John, Richard John Newhouse is running the Religion and Society Report for Rockford. And, uh, but he's living in New York, and he made contact with influential neo neocons, two of whom were uh, Norman Pedaritz and Midge Dechter. He heard uh, through their grapevine that there was going to be a grant coming down from the Bradley Foundation, which was controlled by Irving Kristol at that time. And basically, Richard John Newhouse hijacked a grant that was intended for the Rockford Institute and started First Things. So its, it's roots are in basically, uh, do, you know, two, two Jews wanted to get in on the conservative movement and cut out the opposition they didn't like and found their own front group. That's what First Things is. Okay, um, let's see, where are we here? Um, uh, from SS Tiger, SS, uh, were the priests sent to Dachau because they were Catholic or communists or ideological enemies? <laughs> That's, this is the, the, one of the first reactions to uh, the, the Holocaust narrative. The last chapter is based on Lenz's book, uh, Christus and Dachau, uh, by Father Lenz, an Austrian priest who spent time in Dachau. Uh, I just saw some type of uh, article circulating, starts off by talking about the Concordat, okay? There was a Concordat. And then it makes the claim that Maximilian Kolbe uh, was in Auschwitz because he violated the Concordat. Now, I hope I'm giving that just argument justice there. This is preposterous, okay? The Concordat is with Germany. He's a Pole, for example. Uh, uh, he's a Pole who got uh, involved, uh, it got just apprehended. I don't know the exact circumstances, but the, what was happening at that time was the... Uh, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, he was apprehended because he was a Catholic, uh, a Catholic priest. Now, th th if, you're if you want to tell the story about uh, the relationship between the Nazi regime and the Catholic Church, Dachau is the concentration camp. You have to talk about not Auschwitz. Auschwitz was created for Poles. And what happened here is a, a large number, if the Polish priest, for the most part, ended up in Dachau. There were two Two bishops there, one of, I think they were both Polish, or one of them was Polish anyway. Dachau was created for the Catholic Church for opposition of the Catholic, the opposition that the Nazis perceived coming from the Catholic Church. It wasn't, if you're uh, claiming that those priests were communists, this is, there is no evidence whatsoever for that. I just read another uh, corroborating memoir, which is the, the story of Father Kenterich, who was the founder of the Schoenstatt movement. This corroborates basically everything that, um, that uh, Lentz said about Dachau. It was a totally unique operation. It was started in the first year of the Nazi regime, 1933, and it was overwhelmingly Catholic to the point where it had this weird kind of liturgical life there uh, that they priest, all these priests coming together, two bishops coming together. Uh, Carl Leisner, who was the uh, priest who came from the town where I taught race. I think he was born in, in Elton and then he moved to race, but or born in race and moved to Elton, one or the other. But that's where I, that's the area where I was teaching. There was a Carl Leisner home there. He was ordained in Dachau. There was this, there was this really kind of supernatural liturgical life that was going there. And Lenz is the man who uh, understood it and he gave the meaning to it, which is basically that the priests were there to suffer as expiation for the sin of, of, um, of godlessness, which, it, which Germany was suffering. They had a godless regime in power there. Uh, this, this, this is identity theft. What we're seeing now is the Nazis are collaborating with the Jews once again here to erase the whole Catholic participation in concentration camps, the whole meaning of these concentration camps. The Nazis felt that the Catholic Church was a tremendous threat to their total control of the country. And that's why they abolished all of these intermediary Catholic organizations. Carl Leisner was head of the Boy Scouts, which was run by the Catholics. It was a religious affiliation. 
uh, that was immediately abolished because every young person had to be a member of the Hitler Jugend. No, because they wanted no divided loyalties here. They did not want religious loyalty to interfere with the state project of racial whatever and conquest and so on and so forth. Now, at this point, at the beginning, at the time of the Concordat, there were many bishops. Graf von Gallen, the famous man who stood up to Hitler from Münster, um, basically agreed that uh, it was a good idea to launch a war against Russia uh, because it was the Soviet Union. It was godless atheism that was nearly took over Germany. But when Hitler crossed the line and he started his euthanasia program, the Catholics backed off, and at that point, uh, they were enemies of the state. They were enemies of the state before that, but that certainly at that point. And they would have arrested Graf von Gallen, except that he was too powerful and too popular. And so they couldn't do it. But he turned on them. He was in support of the war against communism, but he was not going to go along with euthanasia. Anyway, this is the story that needs to be told here. This is identity theft. Once again, the erasure of the Catholic uh, participation, the Catholic victimhood in, in these concentration camps. All right, Doc, it's uh, 6 o'clock. A uh, couple more here? Or? Let's do two more. Let's do more. Uh, here's a here's a fun one uh, from Chad Master uh, on uh, Cozy. Uh, question, Dr. Jones, what music do you like? I like good music. Good music. Can you be Wait, I'll give you an example. I just We had the Georg uh, uh, Bruder Trio here. They played uh, a little concert. We recorded the concert, uh, which we will... It's about part two of the... Um, of the uh, Dangers of Beauty book about music in Germany. It was a beautiful experience, uh, the, having live instruments. We did uh, a number of pieces, but they did uh, a, a trio version of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, a powerful piece. And it was better because it was a trio version because you could uh, analyze it much better because it was simplified. Uh, anyway, so I just had a recent conversation with Georg, and we talked about... Uh, the German national anthem, which used to be Deutschland, Deutschland, über alles. The words have changed, but the melody is the Kaiser's Quartet. It's a brilliant melody. It's one of the best examples of drama in a, a, a row, a, 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 a melody that I can come up with. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's do I do I dare to to hum this thing? Da 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 so you you raise those emotions to that high point da 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 and then you resolve it back to the note where you started and you've you you've had a spiritual experience that's the kind of music i like Okay, and uh, it's going around here. I, I couldn't find too many. I kind of lost my position, but this is the one I stumbled on. So from Dr. Dand. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Jones, what do you think of the short stories by Flannery O'Connor? She had a, a unique voice, uh, a unique Catholic voice. Uh, there was a, a unique, if you go back to that period of time when... Uh, it was a, a, a subset of Southern Gothic fiction. Southern fiction was a, a thing, a category, a literary category. Uh, it, there were people uh, like Flannery O'Connor who had the Catholic take on the South. Walker Percy was another man who had the Catholic take on the South. These people all around the same time were prominent writers and it was all <laughs> erased as the Jews took over the literary scene in New York. And the example that I gave uh, in the Holocaust narrative is the rise and fall of William Styron, who started off, uh, wrote uh, Lie Down in Darkness, uh, made a big splash. I, I actually, uh, the man uh, that made, basically the, the editor who made William Styron famous, 
was a man I knew uh, at a time when I was aspiring to be a novelist. It was Hiram Hayden. I met him at the University of Pennsylvania. Nice guy, a real gentleman. Uh, But Styron's, if you want to know what happened, read the chapter on Sophie's choice in in, uh, the Holocaust narrative. And you'll see how the whole literary scene got corrupted, taken over by Jews. Uh, uh, John Updike was not a Catholic. He was a kind of wasp, the classic wasp novelist. And he would joke uh, with people about uh, being the last non-Jewish novelist at that time. So that's what happened. Flannery O'Connor was a real genius. Uh, another man who was coming, co- coming into that at the same time was Ralph McInerney. Uh, he was a genius when it comes to writing novels. He wrote too many of them, uh, but there were some of them that are, are really good. He told me personally that when he wrote The Priest, I believe it was 1969 when that came out, he had the chance to become a, a, a big-time novelist. Uh, and it didn't, it didn't work out uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but the man who did uh, was Andrew Greeley and that stuff, it took a nosedive with Andrew Greeley. And that was the last, I think that was the last uh, well-known Catholic novelist. Uh, so it went from, you know, Flannery O'Connor downhill, ended up with Andrew Greeley. I hope that answers my answers your question. That's a like kind of mini dissertation, but I, I hope that answers your question to give my, somehow my appreciation of Flannery O'Connor. All right, there you are. That was the last one. Thanks, everybody. Once again, this is EMJ Live. We are here every Friday at 5. Telegram, Rumble, Odyssey, Cozy is our home. Uh, obviously, I say it every week, but if you haven't done it, subscribe to CultureWars.com. Culture Wars Magazine It's the best magazine in the known universe. Uh, get our books at FidelityPress.org. If you haven't heard, The Holocaust Narrative is available. It's uh, a very important book, and you should all buy it. Buy as many copies as you want, as often as you would like. Uh, subscribe to everything, you know, cozy bitch, you whatnot. That's it. I have no other announcements. Dr. Jones, what's the last word? Uh, um, don't call lesbian kikes lesbian kikes. Don't call them fat lesbians. It, you'll be in trouble if you do. Thank you. Wise words. God bless everybody. See you next week. <laughs>